Greetings, friends and colleagues. Welcome to the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast, the professional educator's thought partner, a service of OnCourse Education Solutions. I am Scott Lee. In this episode, we discuss a school-based initiative supporting the mental health needs of students. Metro Nashville Public Schools in Tennessee operates the Trauma-Informed Schools Program with a variety of supports and programs to mitigate the effects of trauma. Today, we discuss this initiative with Ellen Montgomery. Listeners may remember Ellen from episode 24 in 2021 when she and her colleague, Laura Fitz, discussed how they implemented restorative practices within their classrooms. Ellen is now a trauma-informed specialist with Metro Nashville Public Schools. Before this position, she taught high school Spanish and facilitated a student-led restorative practice team for five years. During her time as an educator, she has been fortunate to encounter the humanizing work of trauma-informed practices and restorative practices. Once she started personally embracing this humanizing work in her pedagogy and interactions with students and teachers, while also unlearning a lot of the harmful beliefs and biases, she saw a significant positive shift in herself, her classroom environment, and her students. That made her want to be part of this mind shift in education. We start our conversation discussing the specifics of her new role. Welcome back to the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast, Ellen. Thank you for joining us again. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be back. First off, uh, you've got a new role in Metro Nashville Schools since the last time we spoke. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and what that entails? Absolutely. So currently, I'm a trauma-informed specialist for Metro Nashville Public Schools. I have three clusters, which is basically just three large areas of Davidson County that I cover with multiple schools in each one. But before this position, for folks who maybe haven't heard the last episode, I did teach high school Spanish and um, facilitated a student-led restorative practice team for the last five years. So that actually, that background is what led me to the role I am now. I'm not a teacher who wanted to leave teaching. I still really miss the classroom and miss my students. But because of what I was working in my classroom and encountering the humanizing work of trauma-informed practices, restorative practices, that's actually what led me to this role. Just because I saw such a positive, significant shift in myself, in my classroom environment, in my students. And so it made me want to really help be a part of that mindset philosophy shift in education full-time and not just something that I did on the side. So um, yeah, I'm currently a trauma-informed specialist um, under the amazing Dr. Mary Cernabori, who leads our trauma-informed schools team. We support implementation of trauma-informed work and practices um, at the district level, the school-wide level, and at the classroom level. So that could look like doing trainings, that could look like um, one-on-one support with staff, with, with students in terms of collaborative referrals, maybe the, a student who's had significant stress trauma in their life is having some trouble engaging in the classroom. 
I am over Handle with Care for the district, which um, are you familiar with Handle with Care? See, Handle with Care is one of the crisis intervention programs, I believe. I've never used Handle with Care. I've used uh, Mm -hmm. therapeutic crisis intervention and a CPI as well. So it's similar to those, I I assume. Yeah, it's, it's similar. We also, in part with those crisis interventions, we partner with um, the Metro Nashville Police Department to identify students in the district who have been either witnesses or victims of crime in the county. And we don't get really any details about what happened, but we send a notification to the administrators at the school saying, basically handle this child with care. They've either been a witness or a victim to crime. And so just kind of allowing that school to have a heads up and say, you know, this child maybe is having a rough time. They may exhibit behavior that, you know, aligns with that. They may not, but either way, this is helpful information for you to be able to support them better. So we do that. Um, We also do some consulting work um, with school-wide in terms of kind of this mindset shift and helping like integrate trauma-informed work into not just like activities the teachers does, but right, like looking at holistically at the school level, like policies, practices, things like that. And this year we actually rolled out advocacy centers. So it's the first year that we've done this. So we're piloting it, but we're also piloting it in all of our elementary schools in Nashville, public schools, and we have over 70 of them. And so our team supports the coaches that run those centers, which are basically spaces for emotional regulation um, to teach students and sometimes skills to help them regulate themselves and identify emotions and really help them to gain skills to become more successful in the classroom when, you know, they might be triggered by, you know, a trauma that they've experienced in their past. Um, Just really helping to get into the schools as a literal space for this important work to happen. And hopefully that can like start a shift in a lot of schools to make sure that that, you know, spreads into classrooms as well. I know this goes a little bit away from what we had mentioned that we might talk about, but a lot of people are familiar with the concept of social emotional learning, but maybe not as familiar with trauma-informed care or uh, trauma-informed approaches to learning, how are they different? And maybe how are they uh, similar, you know, for folks that may have heard of trauma informed, but not really are familiar with what that really means? Yeah, that's a great question. I think SEL is kind of an umbrella term, at least in my experience that I've heard a lot of people use to refer to essentially just like looking at kids holistically um, and not just through this academic lens. And that's very helpful and important and useful. And I really wish there was some sort of visual to show how SEL and trauma-informed practices and restorative practices really all are intertwined and integrate because there really are so many similarities between them. And they're all just so humanizing to all of the people involved and to the environment um, that we are in for education. But I think that for me, trauma-informed practices is the science that helps to justify and really show the value and importance of restorative practices and why those should be grounded in equity. Um, I think that it's 
oftentimes really just kind of like people really oversimplify it to just being kind to students and, you know, that sort of thing. But really, there's so much science and research that trauma-informed education brings. And I think that sometimes that people can get into the weeds about some of that stuff and kind of tune out because it can be kind of annoying to listen to. But I think if it's brought to you in a way that's engaging, for me, it really shifted who I am as a person just because you recognize the way that the brain works and that behavior oftentimes is not a choice that people are making. It's the way that their brain has created these pathways. And especially for students whose brains are not as developed as ours are, and just recognizing how oftentimes it's easy for our brain to just notice patterns and binaries and good and bad as people or good and bad behaviors. And trauma-informed practices really breaks that down completely and recognizing that there's not a good and bad binary. We're all people. We've all had life experiences that have led to people having the behaviors they have now. And obviously there are some behaviors that are harmful, but that's kind of where I integrate restorative practices into it and saying like, there is a better way forward in education than just aiming for control and compliance and There can really be a lot of joy and beauty in the classroom and kids really enjoying the learning process in a really respectful, trusting community if you integrate these two. So I think there's there's a lot of differences and there's a lot of similarities. But for me, trauma-informed education, really the psychology behind how the brain works really helps to humanize a lot of this, what's hard about our jobs. And I think that that is really a thing that that is missing in education right now. We just to survive it for everyone involved, teachers and students, that's the piece that we cut out because we think if we just do it logically and push through, we'll get through it easier, quicker, faster, whatever. And that's, that's just not the case. It is interesting because when you're talking about being logical and, and, and just forcing your way through some work I've done with, uh, with teachers, one of the things that I found is that the teachers that are using restorative practices more often are actually finding more academic time. And the same thing with the uh, trauma-focused interventions as well. Too many times some teachers are thinking, oh gosh, that, that's just too, that'll take too much time. It'll be uh, too difficult, whatever. And then once you get in the habit of doing that, you find that things work very differently in your classroom and you find more academic time. So absolutely. What kind of systems or systems of support at the school level is needed? And then we also want to talk a little bit more about what a trauma-informed classroom looks like in a minute. At the school level, what needs to happen to make that environment, the trauma-informed practice environment possible? That's a great question. And I think the school-wide and the classroom answer, from my perspective, is going to be very similar. Because I think as the adults in that space, we are the ones, as you know, the social discipline window restorative practices talks about, like we're the ones that control that environment. We're the ones that have the agency over that space. Students obviously have power and have a voice, but we are the ones who create the policies, the procedures, you know, we're the ones who facilitate 
the discussion, the education, the learning, everything. And so really a lot of it comes down to us as people. And especially when you're thinking about trauma-informed practices, restorative practices, these healing-centered, humanizing approaches to education and interacting with other people, we have to also like recognize our own stuff that we maybe need to work through and, and realize that, you know, teaching is stressful and oftentimes it brings up some triggers. It's very relational. And if we are not able to deescalate and regulate ourselves when we're interacting with students that maybe are pushing all of our buttons at one time, then that's, that's not going to go well. We know that teachers regulation level are the greatest determinant in the classroom for the student's regulation level and how well that that's going to go. And so we're people, we've experienced stress and trauma, but we're, if we're not self-aware, if we're not being introspective and really working on ourselves and understanding who we are and how that shows up in the classroom, both for the good, the neutral, the bad, then we're not really doing our part. And so I think that's the same school-wide. It's the same for teachers. It's the same for admin. We have to be willing to own ourself and how, because we can't just shut the human side off of us when we go to work. And I know a lot of people think they can and they try to, but through implicit bias, through decision-making, through what students' behavior bothers you and what doesn't, how you react to that behavior or respond to it, the discipline or the punishment that comes with those things really are so intertwined with your own lived experience and the biases you have. And so I think that I'm learning a lot from Dr. Sean Ginwright right now, who's the author of Four Pivots. And he just really talks a lot about that piece of really needing to be self-aware. And he has quote, social change is deeply connected to our own healing, reflection, and well-being. And really talks about how those four pivots, like if we're not really looking inward and working on the stuff that's, you know, hard for us and that we need to address, it's really hard to make change anywhere else at the school-wide level, at the classroom level. So yeah, I think it's kind of meta, right? Like you have to do this work with yourself, then you have to do it with your colleagues and your administration as a faculty and staff. And once you've experienced it personally and you've really started to build those connections with your colleagues, building that school culture, only then really does it become meaningful in your classroom? Like once you personally embraced it as a person and not just as like a activity that I'm going to throw onto my schedule that maybe won't have the same impact because you're not personally valuing it. I'm just curious myself. Do you get a lot of uh, pushback from teachers and administrators when you first come into a school and say, Hey, we're going to talk about, talk about trauma, talk about trauma informed learning. Do you get a lot of pushback? If so, what kind of pushback do you get and and how do you overcome that? That's a great question. I think it's interesting because we don't have a lot of folks for a very large district that are doing what we're doing. And so I think that the pushback that we get is just people not asking for our support. It's a very passive pushback. So we, to go in to do consulting, to do trainings, people have to ask for that, right? So there's already some level of self-awareness now. Are they doing it for the appearance factor, right? Or are they doing it because they personally value it? Who knows, but at least we have a foot in the door. But yeah, I mean, when I was teaching and still like advocating for these things as a teacher, 
I would get pushback from other folks all the time about how this was like, you know, essentially coddling students or letting them get away with things or, you know, like, well, we didn't do this when I was younger. And so like, I turned out fine, that sort of attitude. (laughs) And that can be that can be hard. And so there's definitely like, you can see the mindset shift that needs to occur in a lot of spaces. But I mean, there are trade schools that I went into kind of bracing for impact before a training, because you hear things about schools, you know, and so I went in kind of on, on guard, but they were really receptive. And so it, it was really encouraging to me to, to show like, if this training is done in the right ways, and I'm still learning those ways, but people, even people who seem to be antagonistic at first, like really can embrace this because it, it's not only humanizing for the students. That's what's so great about it is that it helps us humanize ourselves and realize the system that we're teaching in is not trauma-informed for us as people. And so if we're doing trauma-informed work, and this is something I'm learning from Alex Vinnett too, who I really admire and respect, proactively advocating for trauma-informed practices to happen means like policy change and system change that makes it less traumatizing for teachers (laughs) to work in this environment, but also less traumatizing for students. I mean, right now we're in testing season, you know, and that's extremely hard and traumatizing for many students, not only those with disabilities, but those who have been in a pandemic for the past however many years. And And for teachers as well. Right. Totally. (laughs) You kind of hinted at, at the issues around or some of the issues around implicit bias, right? You know, right then, what is what are you bringing to the table? What am I afraid of, um, mm-hmm. you know, in this discussion, that sort of thing too. So I guess that's what implicit bias is. It is the elephant in the room a lot of times. Mm. Yeah. But, and I think that that's something that I'm really hoping to bring to our team is not make it really explicitly talk about implicit bias. And <laughs> we, we are partnering with the DEI team department at MNPS to really create trainings specifically around that. So I just worked with a colleague, Melissa Gordon and Shelby Mockerman to create a training about implicit bias and healing centered practices and really to talk with educators about that intersection because our decision-making is coming oftentimes out of that, you know, when we're reacting to hard behavior is coming out of that subconscious space that implicit bias lives in our minds. And that obviously has extremely negative impacts for students, especially, you know, in a disparate way in terms of race and disability, gender, things like that. And so we have to make sure that the work that we're doing is not only just adding on a piece of equity or bias at the end to what we're talking about, but really grounding it in equity. And that's a foundation that we're building off of. And so, and that's also something that I'm really soaking up everything from Alex Bennett on as well. Her book, Equity Centered Trauma-Informed Education is really helping me to understand how to do that well and what those things are that schools, that educators can do in terms of not only reacting or responding to trauma or and thinking that oh the trauma is in the community and the the kids are bringing that trauma in from the community but no it's like what we talked about a second ago like schools can sometimes cause trauma 
they can perpetuate trauma, they can exacerbate trauma and really proactively pushing up against that and advocating for policy change for students in terms of, you know, racist policies, homophobic, transphobic, all those bills going through right now, that sort of thing. And that is trauma that happens inside the system, the education system, inside our schools. And we are not being truly trauma informed if we're not, not only just responding to the trauma that's happening, you know, in our kids' lives and that they're bringing in with them, but proactively trying to prevent as much of that at the hand of the school system. It's so easy sometimes to just ignore certain things. And even if we don't address something, it's still there in the kid and not addressing it perpetuates it as well. So there's a a lot of pieces to how that can affect a kid or kids. Right. Tell us about a school or a classroom, whatever you want to do, a situation that you've been involved with in the work that you're doing now, where you have seen success. What does that success look like and and what happens? Yeah, there's a couple of schools that are coming to mind right now. I think a lot of what I'm seeing in our advocacy centers, again, that are in all of our elementary schools starting this year as a space of emotional regulation, I've just seen so much life-changing work happening there. And I've, I've heard of so many stories where it's people that I know through other ways of my life recognizing the use of advocacy centers when their kid has a need and goes to them. Hearing about that is really special. But I think I'm, I'm most proud of the ways that our coaches are really embracing the equity piece of trauma-informed practices. And I have so many coaches that are really pushing up against some really ingrained racist policies and practices at their school and are being really bold and challenging those, but also providing a space for folks of, you know, whether they're students or adults, whoever needs a space to help regulate their emotions is is really helpful. But I'm really proud of, of how they're doing that. And I think also the ways that we partner with other providers like social workers and counselors and going into schools. I went to a school this past week where these two students, siblings actually were, have experienced a lot of trauma in their life and are having a really hard time engaging in school and having behaviors that are really challenging for the adults in that building. And it was really amazing to see everyone just really supporting them and the family and just recognizing the humanity and every person involved and really finding ways to support these students. We're already seeing a lot of positive growth in this, these students, but it's it's just meaningful to see that relationship grow. And I think that that to me is the biggest encouraging. It's, it's oftentimes hard to measure relationships and it's hard to like talk about that because sometimes people don't really understand the value in that, but we know through Um, the research of trauma-informed practices and psychology that five safe, stable, nurturing relationships and environments is what takes toxic stress and turns it into tolerable stress. And so it's huge when you see students who are having trouble in school, having trouble engaging, getting pushed out, really start to form meaningful, respectful trust and attachments, relationships with adults in their lives. And I think that watching that play out 
firsthand in our advocacy centers and just really with a lot of the adults in schools that we partner with is just really encouraging to me. Um, and you can really see the impact that it's having in so many students' lives across our district. That sounds wonderful. And uh, the work that you all are doing just sounds amazing. We'll put some information uh, out there as well to, to share with people. Once again, Ellen, want to thank you for joining us today on the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast. And best of luck as you continue this work. I know it is rewarding and I know it is also difficult. Thank you. It's great to talk to you again. I appreciate it. For more information about the programs and people that Ellen has mentioned in this podcast, please visit our website, thoughtfulteacherpodcast.com, where we will have links for more information about our discussion. The Thoughtful Teacher Podcast is brought to you as a service of OnCourse Education Solutions. If you would like to learn more about how we help schools and youth organizations embed social-emotional learning within their cultures and implement strength-based restorative interventions, please visit our website, www.oncoursesolutions.net. Also, if you're interested in in more about resilience science and trauma-informed learning, please consider attending the Reclaiming Youth Seminars in the summer of 2022 at Augustana University in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, USA. For more information, please check their website at reclaimingyouth.org. This has been Episode 6 of the Spring 2022 season. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and colleagues about it, either in person or using social media. We also greatly appreciate positive reviews on the podcast app you use. The Thoughtful Teacher Podcast is hosted and produced by R. Scott Lee, who retains copyright. We encourage diverse opinions. However, opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of producer, partners, or underwriters. Guests are never compensated for appearance, nor do guests pay to appear. Transcripts are available following podcast publication at our website, thoughtfulteacherpodcast.com. Sponsorship opportunities or other inquiries may be made on the Contact Us page at our website, thoughtfulteacherpodcast.com. Please follow the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast on Twitter at Dr. R. Scott Lee and on Facebook at facebook.com Thoughtful Teacher Podcast. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.